Our scripture reading will come again from 1 Peter chapter 4 and the first 11 verses. First Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, in, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love and for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do with, as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This far our scripture reading for this morning. And our focus today will again be uh, just on verse 7. Uh, I'll read verse 7 again. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, dear congregation, have you ever wondered how your life would change if you, like Paul, had seen visions of the heavens that he could not utter with words that were not lawful for him to utter? If we could peer into eternity, either into heaven or into hell, how would that change your life? Now, last week we heard from Peter how he motivated us with this first part of this verse, but the end of all things is at hand. That the end is coming, especially for God's people who suffer uh, tribulation now, persecution, knowing the end is coming when you'll be delivered from all that and yet, how are we to live now in this time? The life of a Christian is a life of waiting, waiting like a, for the return of your master, waiting as a servant, a good steward, waiting for his master to return. And we might very well be motivated by various reasons, but how often are we motivated and to, to act, and yet we do and act, we live only by our own strength. We do things how we think they are best, not necessarily how God requires us to do them. How often are we so busy with so many activities, and how many of those activities are actually not even productive, not, not for God, not accomplishing anything for God? But here in our verse, Peter 
not only wants to motivate us to live for God, but also to prepare us for that living out of a life of godliness. And he begins with the same place as he did many times in this book already. It begins by preparing our mind, preparing our mind and our hearts for godly living. And Robert Murray McShane once said, what a man is on his knees, that means in prayer before God, that is what he is and nothing more. Now, if we have to chop out all our life that is not equivalent to our prayer life, how much is really left? And so our theme for today is prayer for godly living. And firstly, we'll see that prayer is essential for godly living. Prayer is essential for godly living because preparing for godly living begins with prayer. But prayer also, a godly life is obtained and sustained through prayer. It's not only prayer to prepare us to live godly, but it's prayer that sustains us to live godly all our life. In verse 7 again it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and be watchful in your prayer. And if you look at the different versions of Scripture, uh, the one King James says, Be watchful unto prayer. Or another one says, For the purpose of your prayer. So why are we being serious? Why are we being, why are we being watchful? It's for the purpose of prayer. Waiting for God, living for God, is done in the spirit of prayer. If you think of a steward or a servant, their one purpose and one objective in their life is to follow the will of their master. With everything that that steward does throughout his day, he has to think, what is my master's will? here? How does he want this done? How, what does he want me to do with this? Where should I go with this? And I remember that as a young boy when I first started working on a farm. Every time he came to, to something he didn't know, you're like, what does my boss want me to do here? What am I supposed to do as his servant? And so it is for a Christian. Everything that we do must be done with this thought, this question. What does my master require of me, of my life here? Christ, he lived as an example in the spirit of prayer. And in verse 1, Peter says, Arm yourselves with the same mind. Paul says elsewhere, have the mind of Christ. Christ who prayed to his Father in heaven continually, sometimes through the, through the whole night. He didn't have the same obligations that some of us do. And even though we say it might not be an excuse, yet he was, this was his priority and his purpose. He prayed when he needed physical and spiritual rest after being busy in his ministry. He used his personal time there and went up into the mountain to be alone and pray. He prayed before he made big decisions like, like finding or choosing the disciples. He prayed before and during his suffering. You think of the Garden of, of Gethsemane where he, he prayed earnestly. And that's where he said, not my will be done, but thine in the heat of the moment, you could say he sought to do his Father's will, and that's what we are to do as well. Seeking to do his Father's will, to submit to his will, for he gave himself for this purpose, to lay down his life for his people on the cross. 
But not only that, he prayed for his church and he prayed for his individual people. He said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith does not fail because Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. We need to pray for one another as well. And so we are called to a spirit of prayer because prayer is essential. It's the lifeblood of a Christian soul. Be watchful unto prayer for seven. Prayer is more than just requesting God's help when we need it. It's more than just seeking God's power for something that we need to do, because often, as one person put it, we're just looking for that fuel to put in our tank to do what we want, to get ourselves ahead. But prayer is also just a a communion with God. When there's no other reason but simply communion, like a husband and a wife seek to speak to each other because they're united in marriage, there's a communion with God. It's the life of our soul. That union needs to be exercised in prayer. It's the living, flowing union of a branch connected to the vine. And Jesus used that imagery of the branch and a vine. And that's when he said, without me, you can do nothing. Christians can do nothing without Christ, the vine. It needs that sap. It needs that water. It needs that nourishment to flow into the branches. And it's through prayer that you live with Christ through His Holy Spirit. And we see that prayer is essential because we cannot overcome a single sin in our own strength. We need the grace of His Holy Spirit. In verse 1, He spoke of ceasing from sin. Those who have suffered cease from sin. Being united to Christ through His Spirit. It's a Spirit that convicts you of sin. It's a Spirit who gives you grace to overcome sin. It's a Spirit who gives you repentance and faith to to turn from sin and to believe in Christ. It's it's His Holy Spirit who gives the power to, or breaks the power of sin, that you can leave it to overcome it. And so in prayer, we ask for the Spirit. It's in prayer that we depend on the Spirit. Paul also, when he spoke of the armor of God, he ended in Ephesians 6.18 saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirits, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so it's essential to deliver us from or to to overcome sin, but prayer is essential to the Christian to keep us from sin and to be delivered from the sins that we do fall into. Jesus said, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. And the only way to get out of sin and temptation is to go to God in prayer. This is where we find that forgiveness. This is where we find deliverance. This is where he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's there. It's in prayer. It's with a broken heart and a contrite spirit that you come to God. And it's not without it. Then also, as we continue, prayer is essential to be able then to do the will of God. We cannot stop sinning without the power of the Spirit. We can also not begin doing what is right in the sight of God without the Spirit of God. And so believers are called to live for God, to be zealous of good works, which is only possible through His Spirit. 
And so it's a fruit of the Spirit that is produced in His people by the Spirit indwelling them. It's not ourselves producing these spirits, even though He requires of us, commands us to do and to work, but it's through that union with Christ. Good works are done through a true faith, which is a gift of the Spirit. They must be performed according to His law, which we receive through the Spirit of Christ, who has obeyed the law for His people. It's to be done to the glory of God, which we cannot do in our own strength because we are filled with sin. But then also prayer is essential in that expression of thankfulness to God. The chief end of man, the purpose, is to be thankful to God in prayer for His deliverance. You can look that up in Lord's Day 45. So do we ever have to stand still and wonder why our life is so empty or so fruitless? Could it be because our prayer life is so empty, lacking and cold? Maybe you feel yourself sometimes to be an apple tree in the winter, dormant, rather than in the summer with leaves and fruit. Well, if prayer is so essential, we need to recognize what hinders us from prayer. First of all, we can say sin. Sin hinders us from prayer and communion with God because sin is the very opposite of what prayer seeks to do. Sin is what separates us from God. It's those lusts of men that Peter says we have to cease from in verse 2. Those passions, those desires of our hearts and minds that pull us away from God, that lead us away from God, that fill our hearts and minds with everything except God. Sin really makes you run away from God, whereas prayer makes you run to God. And so if you desire to do something in your heart that you know is not acceptable in the sight of God, will you pray for it? Or will you resist? Will it hinder you from praying because you want to do that? And you know that if you pray to God, you have a conflict. But Psalm 66 verse 18 said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear cannot pray with a divided heart. You cannot pray with your mind and heart bowing to the world. You can only bow to one. And then you might pray because you know it's your duty. But how often do we pray with our mind already made up? And all we're looking for is God's stamp of approval to do it. Are we trying to change His Word just a little bit to understand it slightly different so we can fit our plans inside of a bigger view, you might say, an expanded view of God's Word, which He never intended. And then there's no submission to the will of God. We're trying to change God's will to match our will. Sin hinders us from prayer. But then there's also our guilt, the guilt of our sin. God's people are often plagued with the guilt of our sin when we fall into sin, when we know we must not and we do not want to, and then we sometimes don't dare to pray because we know there's guilt. We feel as such hypocrites. How can I now go to God when I know I have stumbled again, when I know I have sinned again? And it can be such a cycle, and it can bring you down, and you you feel almost too guilty to pray. But if our sin and guilt hinder us, Often it's because of our pride. We want to bring something good to God. We want to say, look, God, here, 
I've lived a good day today. I can come to you in prayer. But not wanting to pray then is our sin. It's hiding. Like a child who knows he or doesn't dare to come to his parents because he knows he's done something wrong. And we hide from God's presence. But this is exactly when you must come to God. This is exactly how you must come to God. But then with a broken heart and a contrite spirit to confess your sins and lay them open before the Lord because it's only the Lord who can deliver you from them and turn you from them, broken in the dust, nothing to bring. Because it's God only gives grace to the needy, to the broken, to the humble. He lifts up the humble and He casts down the proud. I was reading this morning in Psalm 149. It says He, he, he beautifies the meek with His salvation. He beautifies the meek, those who come to Him with such brokenness and such ugliness of heart. And, and then He takes them and He restores them and He adorns them with the blessings of salvation. It's the, it's the downcast that the Lord lifts up when they come to Him. It's not the proud Pharisees who can come and say, look how good I pray. But this is exactly when we must come, when we're broken with guilt and sin and shame. Then we also see our sin against others, against one another, hinders our prayers. Because if we hold grudges against another, how can we go to God with a pure heart? But he says then, go back and make right what is not wrong, or what's, what's not, make right what is wrong. You know when there's divisions between you and your spouse or your family, how difficult it is to pray around a family table because that unity is broken. You need to bring the hearts down to humility and repentance and come to God. In chapter 3, verse 7, Peter warns the husbands to be considerate of their wives so that their prayers are not hindered. Not loving our, and, and caring for our wives hinders our prayers, if we do not deal with our wives with that understanding that God requires, if we do not love them or give them the honor as of the weaker vessel, we hinder our prayers because we're not living as God instructs us. And then there's also just the busyness of our life, our everyday routine that can hinder our prayer life. We can be so busy and so distracted we get up in the morning and that list of things to do is already churning in our mind, isn't it? We sit down to try and read our Bible before the kids get up or before the, the work sets in. And, but those duties of the day already begin to pull and that list is ready in front of us. And it's so hard to focus sometimes. Then there's our, our own unwillingness to set ourselves to prayer that hinders us. Because prayer is spiritual, and we are such physically focused beings. It seems like every fiber of our physical being can resist prayer. There can be so many excuses. Well, I have to do this. I've got to text him. I've got to write this down. I, I have to do this yet. And then you know it can be so much easier to sit down and read a book or look at the TV if you have one or to do something for work. How often you find it so hard to pray for five minutes, and yet an hour goes by like nothing when you're doing something else. Why is that? 
Or maybe you don't even feel like praying, and you think, well, if I don't really feel like praying, why should I pray? Because you try to justify yourself and say, well, maybe it's better if I don't pray because I have to come with a willing heart. But then you'll never pray. Now, all these temptations do not to hinder you from prayer. And Satan himself is active in that somewhere, and he tries anything and everything to hinder you from praying. Queen Mary said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than she feared all the armies of Scotland. One man on his knees made a, a queen tremble. One saint on his knees makes Satan tremble. Does the devil tremble when you pray? Or does he laugh because he keeps you from it? Not having the mind of Christ hinders us from prayer. Nothing is possible without prayer. And so we must pray to be prepared for prayer, and we must be prepared to pray. What comes first? Both must be done together. We must prepare ourselves for the work and for the duty of prayer. We must prepare ourselves to enter into the presence of a holy and almighty God in prayer. Do we ever think of that when we come into this church building? That we're coming to present ourselves before the Almighty God, who says He is here in a special way with His Holy Spirit. We prepare to do the will of God in prayer. Prayer is required to be able to begin to do what Peter calls us to do in these chapters. Prayer is a preparation for it and the, the means of sustaining us through it. It's a means of thanking God for everything He gives, seeking blessing not only for yourself, but also for others. It's the expression of what is in your heart. Is there life? Is your need of Christ there? Do you recognize that it is not in your strength or your ability? But we have to come continually to God in prayer because that is where our strength lies alone. Prayer is essential. But then secondly, a prepared mind is essential for prayer. Because our go- our, a godly life must be disposed to prayer. And that begins in our minds. The mind, we must prepare our minds to pray. We must always be ready to pray in every place where we are. How many times during the day do we have to say, well, I'm not quite ready to pray here or in this place or in this way? He says, be watch, be serious, be watchful unto prayer for the purpose of prayer. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplications, in the Spirit. He said a few verses earlier, then arm yourselves with the same mind. We must prepare our mind because we follow our minds. We can be in church and yet our mind can be at home or at work. We can be at home or on a date with our wife and our minds can be at work. We can be at work and our minds can be on vacation. We can be in prayer, and yet our minds can be miles away from God. 
busy with something else. Prepare our mind, Peter says, therefore, be serious and watchful unto prayer. Therefore, why? Because the end is at hand, because your time here on this earth is short, because this is your lifeline, your lifeblood for your life here on this earth. And that's almost over. And so your mind must be serious in prayer. I mean self-controlled. Serious and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. To think wisely, to live in self-control over fleshly passions and desires is what Peter's contrasting it to here. You think of a thief walking around during the day. He has to be careful. He's not going to rob someone because he knows he's going to get caught. He has to act in self-control. He has to restrain his desire to steal. Young people are often, it's often rather look for what is fun and entertaining. They can be prone to act first and, and think later. And often their parents have to remind them, calm down, self-control, think about this. But the mind in all ages gravitates to light-heartedness. The human heart naturally gravitates to carelessness and anarchy. Why do you think nations spiral down into anarchy? That is a natural direction of the heart. That's what God shows us all through Scripture. Read the Judges, read Samuel and the Chronicles. The nations spiral down into destruction. But God says, be serious, be self-controlled. Isn't that a fruit of the Spirit? Because you cannot pray when your mind is carried away by the passions of this world. Peter said in one, chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore gird up the loins of your mind, have them ready to run in prayer, be sober, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to your former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. Nothing snaps us back to reality of life as hearing the death of a, love, a loved one, especially when they're young. But Jesus says, always be ready, because you do not know the hour or the day when our life will end. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful unto prayer. Paul said too in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Where? By the renewing of your mind. That, why? That you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For how shall we live according to the will of God if we do not know it, if we do not consider it, if we do not transform our mind according to it? A servant must have that serious and watchful, that self-controlled mind so that you can seek to know to do the will of God your master. Paul instructed young Timothy as well. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. To, to, to Titus, he said, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern, an example of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be 
condemned. So young people, old people, be sober-minded. Think seriously, wisely. Control your passions. Be an example of godly living. It's very difficult in this world, and that's why it's called a warfare, because it's so much easier just to go along with everything. That's, that seems to be more pleasant. It's, it's easier. But the passions of the world are the passions of our heart because they, they usually go together. But be self-controlled so that you can pray always. And the more you pray, the more you realize how difficult it often is. Be serious, he says. But then also be watchful unto prayer. And watchful is a little slightly different word here. It means to sober up and to get self-control and to keep it there because we don't start there. It means to cease from sin, as he was saying earlier, to put to death those old sins and to renew your mind to that new way of thinking. A serious mind leads to a watchful life. If you've fallen into a ditch once, you're going to watch the next time not to do it again. We have to be diligent to cultivate such a life in mind because naturally our hearts are drawn to the light and to the pleasant things. We have to fight those tendencies to fall back, to backslide or to wander. It's a spiritual warfare, striving to live in a watchful and discerning mind. It's hard. Serious things are difficult to think about. And often we don't want to fill our minds with that. Prayer itself is hard work. Hard to start, hard to continue, hard to be consistent, hard to be focused, hard to be persistent, hard to be earnest, hard to be serious-minded, hard to be committed. And yet all these difficulties of the flesh can be overcome by the Spirit. And the Spirit also gives a greater joy in those moments of prayer in communion with God, and all the pleasures of this world could ever give you. We never want to face trials and difficulties. It's a burden to the mind, and yet it's in those trials and through those difficulties that the Lord gives the joy, the true hope, and the true comfort that you can never get by trying to get out of it yourself. And yet, it is difficult, and yet it is rewarding. A watch unto prayer. So be self-controlled and sober for the purpose of prayer. Now, it doesn't mean we have to walk around somber and a, a dreary, fallen look on our face, but it's a, a realistic attitude. Not the light-hearted happiness that some call Christianity that's trying to climb the mountain in your own strength to get above the clouds of the valley, but it's it's to face the reality of life, serious in times of rejoicing, so that you can seriously rejoice with those who do rejoice, but serious also in a time of weeping so that you can weep with those who weep. But we must be watchful because we know that when we are not sober, whether it is using drugs or alcohol, or, then you're not self-controlled. But substances physically inhibit your self-control. You can think of the many ways that alcohol or, or substance abuse acts. You, it can make you angry. It can make you violent. Others make you passive or tired or, or lazy, unable to work. 
Some make you giddy and lightheaded, lose control of your emotions. Most of them make you lose control of your tongue. You say things that you never would if you were sober. Some make you think you're invincible. That's why the German army gave their soldiers uh, pills made from methamphetamine and cocaine-based stimulants so that they could fight harder and longer, not think about the consequences of fighting in a war. No concern for their safety. So keeping ourselves free from physical hindrances, inhibitors, naturally is the first step to keeping our minds sober and watchful. Because in this world, the sad reality is people look for escapes. They don't want to face the realities. They can't if they don't have God, and they seek to, they look to substance abuse to drown out their troubles. But it's not just substances. It's everything in this world that he's talking about, fleshly passions and desires of the heart. The world is standing ready to fill your minds with entertainment and with what they call happiness. It'll gladly keep your minds away from prayer and away from God. And it's easy to forget that we're in a spiritual battle. It's easy to want to sit back, especially in our culture, to relax and enjoy what God has given us. But we don't fight spiritually. But Christ was watchful. In the garden of Gethsemane, as he prayed to his Father, not my will but thine be done. There he was clearly aware of what he was doing and what he would face. There he prayed in an agony, even sweating great drops as it were blood that fell to the ground. And that is exactly when he told Peter and the other apostles with him, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's that battle of the spirit and the flesh. Christ knew the weariness of the flesh. He knew the strength of the temptations around him, of Satan facing him, even though he did not have the temptations of a sinful heart. That is why we need to be even more watchful, because we have enemy temptations around us, but also in us. Our own sinful heart gravitating away from God. Our own heart can betray us. Therefore, watch. How often are we sluggish? How often don't we agonize, even knowing that this is what we need? Here Christ refused that sour wine that was offered on the cross. He refused to be inhibited of, of having a clear mind. He suffered on the cross with a clear and a sober mind. He knew what he was doing. He felt that undiluted pain of the physical suffering. He felt the undiluted wrath of God against the sins of all his people with no painkillers. The weight and of that guilt of, of the sin and punishment of his people resting upon him as he took it for his people. Sober and watchful unto death, because he needed to taste death for every man. And that is why there is now relief for you through prayer in whatever you face in this world. It's, a God, it's God who comes to remove that guilt from your shoulders and to alleviate your sufferings for the sake of Christ who could not find any relief when he suffered. And this is the only real comfort and source of your comfort. It is through that suffering, Peter says, 
to God through Jesus Christ, through prayer. And how little do we use it? How little do we go? And what does God have to do in our lives to bring us to that point? You know how often the Lord has driven you to prayer, and you know where you have found Him, and it's usually in those crisis moments where, where you realize finally that you cannot do it on your own anymore, and God has shown you who He is for you. But it's here that God calls us to come daily to Him and to live in this spirit of prayer. And so Paul also makes this comparison with the physical and the spiritual to remind us, to give us a picture. He says, do not be drunk with wine which is in, dissi- in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, filled with the Word and Spirit of God. And Peter says in chapter 2, verse 11, abstain from those fleshly lusts which war against the soul those desires of your heart that make you drunk with the love for the world instead of for God. Keep your mind clear from sinful desires of the world in their own hearts. Be then self-controlled, watchful for the purpose to live in prayer. Run to God to prayer, in prayer. And when you're there, walk with God like Enoch, Enoch did. Enoch who walked with God. That is where you are prepared for godly living, to do the will of your master. When you can walk in step with your master, to know what he, as you grow up as a hired hand, you begin to know, this is what he wants me to do. This is what I have to do here on the farm. You begin to know the will of your master. And it's not because of anything that we can bring but only because of Christ who suffered there on the cross without any answer in the darkness when he had to say, my God, my God, why hast hast thou forsaken me? Even though he prayed earnestly, his prayers were cut off so that yours could be heard. And even though our feeble prayers are feeble, they can be heard and answered because of Christ, because of the holy and the sinless one who served his Father perfectly, and who suffered in the place of his people, so that now you can receive that life through prayer, that life of godliness, to fulfill that command where he says, Be holy, for I am holy, to live as a faithful steward. I'll leave you these words that Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 34, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore. Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Amen.